The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kirofano, welcome to episode 12 of the All Black Podcast powered by SAP. It is Thursday, October the 6th, and by the time this podcast goes to air, we would have had the opening day of the Women's Rugby World Cup. Eden Park, triple header, concert by Rita Ora, and probably a world record crowd for a women's rugby match. How good. Could not think of a better person to discuss this tournament and the journey to this point for our Wahini rugby players, the Mel Robinson 18 test for the Blackburns, two times World Cup winner, currently head of sports and events at TVNZ and all sorts of stuff in between. Welcome to the podcast, Mel. Kia ora, kia ora to you and hi to everybody else out there. I'm very excited about being here. I'm so excited today. What we've done, Mel, is we're giving you the opportunity to just have a little break and reflect on what's going to happen in a couple of days. Have you... You know, have you had a chance, you're a busy lady, have you had the chance to sit back and think, hang on a minute, when I started playing footy and I was playing for the Black Ferns, there were this many people in the crowd and this is what was happening, in two days' time, uh, we're going to have a full house at the Garden of Eden, we're going to have an international superstar play a concert as a part of a rugby event, um, I mean, and, and all the girls running around on the field are going to be contracted professional rugby players, like, have you had the opportunity to sit back and think, holy hecka. Only in the last week, I have never really had time or even the faith to think, geez, we've got to a good place. But just on Sunday, I popped down to get my car at Sky City. It might have been parked there for a reason. Sure, sure. Um, I'm not sure why it was still Responsible. there on the weekend. Yes, Responsible. Yes. Um, and I got to Sky City and it was pumping and there were these massive, muscular, powerful bodies walking around and they were all the women yeah. who are involved in this World Cup and I just said, whoa. And then uh, Prime Television released this Black Ferns documentary yes. uh, and I'd forgotten that they'd actually interviewed me for it and Anna Richards and some of the fantastic current players as well and I actually got emotional for the first time Yeah. Mm, because honestly we had to do rugby, win rugby world cups, train every single day with no money, no resource, no support really from you know um, the board uh, or any of the administrators and now to see it at a level where all these people are coming to watch and, and a lot of little girls yeah. coming to watch these incredible superstars, yeah, I've just started to go. We're getting there. It's cool because we're not great at that sometimes, are we? Just as humans, is creating a bit of space and sitting back and reflecting on some of the good stuff. And I bet you've got a bunch of girlfriends. You've mentioned a couple of them there. Um, where hopefully over the course of the next six weeks, you'll be able to go along to a couple of matches together, have a couple of wines together, and and watch, you know, literally the pinnacle of the women's game in our own backyard, which we've never had before. Crazy to think we've never hosted a rugby world cup before for our women. So, mm. pretty special times. Mel, let's have a little bit of a warm up. We don't want to go in too cold, particularly at our age, but. Uh, <laughs> How old are you? Uh, 42. 42. Yeah, so I don't know whether you consider that young or old. Um, I predominantly young. consider it old these days, <laughs> but um, but I'll take that. Oh, 100% time. I'm not, and I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to ask. I'm 49 age. and I'm quite proud of it, oh, actually. Very honest. Yes. Yeah, very so honest. I, I like don't it. care. Middle-aged. <laughs> I'm an auntie now. Just, and I think auntie means I'm no longer sexy, but that's okay. My husband thinks I am. Oh, mate, that, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> Favourite sports star growing up and why? Uh, Flo Jo was my first 
sports star oh, that I, see I that. resonated the hair with. And, yeah. <laughs> Charisma. Actually, I wore makeup on the rugby field every single time, much <laughs> like she did the whole thing as well. But I think, you know, I was around about, I, don't know, I think I was 12, and I saw this woman running in the Olympics and so proud of, of her beauty and who she yep. was. And she was black, and I was brown, and being in New Zealand and, and seeing the Silver Ferns often. Uh, you didn't see a type of athlete like this. Yeah. So, you know, that saying, see it, be it, I kind of looked at her and thought, oh, yeah, no, I can be her, man. I wasn't yeah. quite that fast. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so and didn't take the anabolic steroids either, but that's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she was the first one. And then when I started playing sports, um, I played volleyball um, through National A-League. I played b-ball and then was lucky enough to start rugby first year uni. And when I started playing rugby, I started looking around at some of the women who were playing rugby. So then my heroes were Sue Garden Bishop, who uh, obviously oh, has yeah two boys playing Super Rugby now. Um, Anna Richards, she was an absolute legend. A lady called Helen Littleworth, who mm. was a number eight, who played before me and during my career as a Black Fern, and is just an incredible stalwart of the game. So I started to uh, look at them. And at the same time, I would also admit to seeing All Blacks as my role model. So David Kirk was the first one who I also had a rather large crush <laughs> on. But he is half my size. So polished, wasn't he, Kirky? Uh, Just so polished, you know. Educated. Educated, and, you know, smart, yeah, you know, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. But, you yep. know, yep. he's a bit small for me these days. Um, <laughs> and, you know, players like that. Buck Shelford. Oh. Um, I really like Jamie Joseph too because he was quite dirty and so yeah. was I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Were you? Were mm. you, Mel? We'll get mm-hmm. to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Mel, I know you love to go for a trot. I know you love to have a wine with your girlfriends. I know you love to watch sport entertainment on TV. What's on the Spotify playlist when you're doing any of these things? Uh, I like New Zealand music, so I was listening to Stan Walker on my run oh, today. Brilliant. I love Rob Ruha um, and Kahau, uh, you know, and um, Kōtiri is my latest band. Oh, wow. They're a bunch of Māori boys, grew up in Perth. Um, educate me, Mel, educate mate, me. Mate, they're amazing. They're opening for 660 uh, over mm-hmm. their tour. They, um, The lead singer, his voice is like this gravelly, beautiful, dark um Oh, it's just gorgeous. He actually emailed um, 616 and said, hey, we're really good and we'd love to um, you know, open up for you. This wow. was about two years ago. And so the the lead of 660 actually rang them and said, yep, do you want to do it on Friday? And so half of them <laughs> had to quit their jobs because they were coming over for Perth, yeah. got there, and now 660 um, lets them use their studios. They're oh, releasing wow. an album and they rock. So they've got um, Waitareo songs but plenty uh, in English as well and they're my favourite at the moment oh boys those Māori boys geez they can sing can't they like I'm always so jealous when cracking to Waita three guests that you would invite to your house for dinner Mel who could it be anyone can be anyone and and what what would Mel Robinson cook Um, geez I wish I had known you were going to ask me this question (laughs) I love politics so I'm thinking about uh, somebody smart it might be Grant Grant Robertson. Yep. Uh, I'd bring him along because, you know, the hubby and his mates and not just Cinder fans, but I think someone like Grant Robertson could actually turn around some of the yeah. rhetoric. Uh, I'd have to have a sports person. Um, so I would actually get my best bud, Anna Richards, there. Ah, uh, legend. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Yep. Very funny. She's got yep. a memory like an elephant. Uh, and then I may think about, oh, who do I really think? Sexy. Maybe Brad Pitt. Yeah, wow. No, Seth, yeah, there we you know, go. Icon. 
say to Marcus, what do you reckon? He's a good-looking man. Hall pass? Hall pass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> no. a good-looking man. No, I don't see any problems with that at all. <laughs> and speaking of Marcus Mel, uh, are you going to let him grow a moustache for Movember this in a few weeks' time? You know what my <laughs> answer. The last time he did, his moustache was so ugly he did not get a pash for the entire month. So if he chooses not to want any action for that entire month, then he's... Noted. You know, he is welcome to raise money for yep. a very good movement. He could move for Movember, just be physically active, doesn't have to grow the moustache maybe. Or ah. he could just, yeah, like you say, go without for a month. Mm. That's up to him, I suppose. <laughs> Mel, let's talk about your journey. Um, as you said, 49 years young, it started a few years back. But what got you into rugby? Because these days, you know, as we all know, there's opportunities for young girls to get involved in rugby, um, which is awesome. But what did it look like for you as, as a young lady? It was my dad. It's all his fault. He <laughs> he watched a lot of sport league and, and union in the weekend and I would hang out with my dad because he was awesome. Um, Māori man, very massive humour. Again, he, he was quite mischievous uh, and just had this joy around sports. And, yeah. you know, I can remember him going for a run a lot and he played rugby as well for Taranaki Um he, he uh, had a trial for the uh, New Zealand Māori and he was hugely passionate about it. And we also have a bit of a family um, legacy and love for the game as well. So my power, which is my granddad, he told me that he played every position on the rugby field from 1 to 15, right to the age wow. of 62, except for he ended up obviously in the front row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a bit yeah. slower. Yeah. So, yeah, no. It goes 15 to 1, doesn't it? <laughs> it quite does. often, yeah. Yeah, and um, when I started playing, Dad came to pretty much everything, and, and Power did when he could. Yeah. And Power had all of these grandchildren, and as soon as I started playing rugby, I became the favourite, I reckon. <laughs> They're probably telling me off. I won't like this right now, but oh, it's true, I was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not your fault if you know you picked up the, the rugby ball. What you know? What could he do? And as like, when was when did it change from from getting involved and being encouraged by your father and, and having a run around because it was a part of what you did in your family to like, oh, hang on a minute here. There's um, while not the pathway perhaps there is today, but you know I might be able to to put on a black jersey. I might be able to go on a few trips. I might be able to hang around with some people that are that are pretty cool. Like when did that sort of transition or, or that journey start to take place? Uh, our first year of university, I was in the second team. Which university? Uh, university of Otago. So we actually had three women's teams in my oh, wow. first year. I mean, it was unbelievable. Awesome. Uh, yeah. They were all young. We all came from different sports. And my coach was a guy called Nick Broughton who ended up playing for Scotland, uh, open side flanker. And he was very handsome as well, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but during that season, uh, I found so much joy in the fact that I could physically dominate someone I discovered the fiend yep. and I've got like this open handed punch basically which was disguised as a fiend the, uh, the first Corey Jane of women's rugby was it just oh, chucking out totally. the totally <laughs> I mean I can remember maybe in my third ever game of playing and um this amazing women's rugby player, Margaret, um, her nickname was Bro, and she was about six foot one, and she dominated. She played for Pirates. And I can remember fending her in the face and running around her, and the look of surprise on her face, and that was the moment that I knew I loved <laughs> rugby. I just loved it. I mean, when else do you get to smash people oh, totally. except for on a rugby field or a league field? Yeah, that's How cool ex is that? exactly what I tell my kids. Like, this is yeah. this is your license to go out and yep. move some shifts and bodies, boys. Get into it. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And so, 
You're down there. I mean, that sounds like a hell of a good time. Otago University playing rugby, you know, with all your girl, heaps of girls around playing, and, and how good would that be? That's a whole other podcast, I'd suggest. But there's um, Wendell all of a sudden, you know, what, how do you get into a rep team? Like, how, do you pay pay your own way? How do you get picked for the Black Ferns? Like, what does that all look like back in the 90s, you know? Oh, very difficult. Uh, it was dominated by Canterbury at that time, so I think they had um, squads were 21 players back then, and they had, I don't know, 17 of them. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and the rest were from Auckland, so it was not easy. But Sugan Bashup, I mentioned her before, um, you know, a player who played professional basketball, touch rugby for New Zealand, rugby for New Zealand, um, athletics for New Zealand. She Steve's was, wife, is it? Yeah, yeah, she was his wife. Uh, he was the big star at the time. Yeah. Um, but she was fighting for us at Otago Rugby Union level, and she ended up getting funding for us to do our first either even North Island tour. Wow. She was pregnant um, with Jackson at the time, around about seven months pregnant. <laughs> I don't know how she got <laughs> that blame. And um, she brought us up there, and she was a great coach, and she was the one who identified that actually I was so aggressive that I shouldn't be on the wing, I should be at open side. Um, and Daryl Suasua was watching, he was coach at the time, and he noticed a few of us. I was one of them. Um, Analia Rush was another. Oh, yeah. yep. And off the back of that, her support, uh, and also which was, it was actually Graham Murray, who was one of the selectors, selectors that year in 1996, um, I ended up getting in the squad for the first time. So... I've, I, I think I was lucky, but I also know that uh, at that time there weren't that many flankers who were really mobile or quick because um, women's rugby was still evolving yeah. and developing. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of my my style at flanker, but it was also because of Sue and Graham, Mary and a few others. We always ask all the men who come in here, you know, do you remember when you got named in the team for the first time. Do you remember when you received your jersey for the first time? Mel, do you remember those moments? We were at the Wellington uh, Police College and we all sat there together, uh, the trialists. So if you missed out, you were in the room with everybody else that brutal. made it. it Absolutely was, brutal. Yeah, and the Richards sisters get called before me, Anna Richards, Fiona Richards, all in um, alphabetical order. And I was like really really nervous and then they called my name and it's like a it's weird it's like this relief and you just can't believe it uh, and actually I'd had my hand stomped um, on it by the incumbent open side David White I'll put her name there she was amazing probably from Canterbury no she was actually from Auckland oh, and really amazing Māori woman she'd stomped on my hand because I was <laughs> cheating and um, split the webbing and after I got named um, that night my hand started throbbing and I ended up in the A&E the next day because it was so infected and I said to them, I'm leaving for Australia and Canada tomorrow so you need to fix it. So they put the intravenous needle in me, it felt like a, a million bees going through my veins and then sent me away and that was it. Yeah, then I was on the plane. Um, first jersey was special, that was in Australia, uh, I was starting, I just couldn't believe it. Number six, not my position, it ended up being my position, uh, the devil's number very apt um, and my dad and my poa came to watch in Australia oh, so you know it was it was awesome and my little um, claim to fame in that one was Australia had a, a number eight called the beast and she was very athletic she looked amazing she was a good runner and she was cheating as well so um, <laughs> she held me back at a line out and the next line out the ref was turned away and I punched her 
and next minute she's on the ground and the ref can't work it out and she got stretched off. And my <laughs> dad was so proud of me. <laughs> so good. Oh. Hey, well. <laughs> can't do that these days. I was so going to say, that is the benefit back then of probably not too many cameras and, know. you know, maybe a, a couple of touches you could pull the, the wall over their eyes. I, yep. I just think, I don't know if it's cheating, Mel. I just think it's good gamesmanship. You well, know? I, you know. I Game womansmanship. I do sorry. coach my son and I do say to them, you're not allowed to punch anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite Do as I say, ironic. not yeah. as I do. <laughs> exactly. And do you do you remember you know who handed over the jersey or putting it on for the first time and all that sort of good stuff? Like you say, you got a I mean, what an iconic jersey to put on for the first time, like a black number seven jersey. How many great names have gone and um, and the woman in the men's game have played in that jumper? You know, well, black number six. I think that was just as good. Well, Daryl Suosu was our coach at the time, and uh, he handed them out to us. Cool. And he would give you a special message. Uh, every single time, and and mine was uh, something on the lungs of play as you play. So he gave me license to yeah. be myself, be brave, and try different stuff because I wasn't really a normal forge. Half the time I'd be in the backs because <laughs> I knew all the moves and loved to inject. Mobile, just yeah, mobile. totally. Yeah. Um, not quite like Tane Randall, who used to hang out there and, and do no tight work. At least Fitzy I used to as do well. that. Fitzy as well. Exactly. Yeah. So no, it was a special moment. Um, yeah. I certainly have very fond memories and remember just about um, every aspect of that tour. 1998 World Cup. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that, like in the Netherlands of all places. Like, how good, what a good spot mm. that is uh, oh but to, to finish a tournament. Again, yeah. another podcast, no doubt. But there's, um, you know, one thing I've listened to a few different podcasts from yourself and from Anna Riches, like real trailblazers and who are there. And it just seems like, and, and probably a shout out for Daryl as well. Um, you guys, even though you're 100% amateur and, and probably bearing a lot of the cost yourselves just to be there, um, that you're a professional in the amateur era. You know, mm. your girls took it really seriously and, and that, that bore a lot of fruit, you know? We did. We did. Uh, we bore costs in our own time and how we had to balance it around work. So everything before you would leave, you'd have to... Um, Oh, it was just hard. You just have to be very planned, really disciplined, and Daryl was a big part of, of keeping us on track. Actually, that was the first, um, 96 was the first time New Zealand Rugby actually put uh, some investment and money towards cool. a trip. In 1998, we had everything paid for, and uh, one, one of the most the best things is the, like the gear day, yeah, yeah, getting yeah, all your gear, yeah, and yeah. it was Canterbury with the sponsors. Yeah. We had these massive jackets, like sleeping bags that were so high quality, I've still got it, like they're you brilliant. Beauty. But like uh, the on-field stuff, like what were the highlights like? Did you go into 98 thinking we're going to win this thing, or we're one of the hot favourites, or actually what was the state of the game at that time? These days, you know, we look to the, the Six Nations competition, really strong competition, prepares them so well for, for pinnacle events like the World Cup coming up. Was that the case back then? Was that sort of stuff in existence? Yeah, the level the level of rugby we were playing was right up there and is equitable to what Wayne Smith is running out on the field now. He was uh, part of our um, team early on as well in terms of um, giving advice and coaching. Yeah. So we, we trained like the men. We borrowed a lot of all-black culture and philosophy. Uh, we had so many amazing coaches from the men's game come in to support Daryl, and we had many different styles of rugby that we were running out, um, but we certainly relied on that uh, upbeat, quick, instinctive style after a couple of you know um, strike moves or set, set, set phases. So very much the style that Wayne Smith has, has brought back into the Black Ferns, that is the style we were playing back there. 
And there's one thing that underpins uh, everything that the black ferns do on the rugby field when they're in a good space, and it's bravery. Yep. Kia Maya, um, you know, taking the chance and doing things differently. And black ferns have had to have a lot of bravery through the years because it, you know, that road has not been easy to get to where they are now. Hundred percent. Another road you took, Mel, and, and at times it wasn't easy. Was broadcasting? Like was that? Mm. When you were you were finishing your playing days or thinking about finishing your playing days, was that something that was on your radar? How did that come about? Like because as I was talking to you before we jumped in the studio here, like these days I flick on the tally and I see a number of female broadcasters, and that's not just here in New Zealand, but that's in Australia, that's in the States, you know, that's across basketball, that's across golf. Um, but I was trying to think back, you know, to being a young fella, you know, a teenager watching um, you know, all the different sports that I watched growing up and I can't remember too many, to be honest, Mel, and, and perhaps none in rugby. You know, like how, how did that opportunity come about? Uh, that was a research project I did in my third year at uni on the coverage of women's sport, which I found was abysmal, and it opened my eyes. I, I actually, <laughs> to that port, point, thought there was no difference between guys and girls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how naive was I? Um, and then I started looking at the bylines and saw there was Margot Butcher as a female journalist. Um, you know, there was Jane Clifton at TVNZ um, and one other. So three female sports journalists in the entire wow. country. And I thought to myself, okay, so if we're going to get more women's sport coverage, probably one way to do that is to get more females writing and becoming journalists. So I signed up for the student newspaper and started writing really crappy, <laughs> but started writing sports stories. And one of my teams I covered was a, a team called the Seedy Dogs. And one of my um, pieces I wrote about them, they still bring out now, 30 years later, these there guys. Yeah, there so, it is. so that's how I started. And um, the two people who, there was a lo lot of uh, jobs and work and training from that point. Um, you know, I ended up actually doing politics um, for Mana News, mm -hmm. you know, one of my first jobs. And um, right up to this point where I knew I was ready to hopefully put my hand up for Sky TV. And Rick Salizzo was a, a great friend, um, very supportive and a, a fabulous mentor of a lot of different people. He said, I know this bloke, he's a producer at Sky, let me introduce you to him. So I think we went to a, a sports cafe show yeah. at Learfield yeah. and he brought Brendan Butt along. Benny, I did this big sales pitch to him, I want to be a female you know, yeah. rugby commentator and that's that, blah, blah, blah. And so he went back to... Kevin Cameron, the boss, and Kevin went, yeah, she sounds good. And he put my CV, which had a, a model shot on the front of it, <laughs> in front of John Philippe, the CEO. John looked at it and said, I don't want fluff. I can't have fluff as part of the commentary team, for goodness sake. And then two days later, John was driving home late at night, like he often did, and put on the Murray Deeker show. Yes. And Murray Deeker was also mentoring me at the time, and he'd let me fill in for him. Oh. And I was doing this big... Um, expose on the, the rugby in the weekend which was super rugby at the time and um, was analysing it and plenty of men ringing me up and telling me that all women's rugby players are lesbians <laughs> and I didn't know where the dump button was and um, John <laughs> comes to work the next day and he rings Kevin and he said, Kevin, I found her I found the girl, she was on Murray Deeker's show last night, Kevin goes well it's the same one, the CV I, I showed you the other day he goes, oh, get her, get her, sign her up and that's how I got my first job at Sky TV. Oh, there it is. Mm. And like, I mean, you're such a, a capable and confident female, but like, you know, and probably outwardly, I just looked at you and saw someone who was ready to go and, and just did the job. But like, you know, behind the scenes, you know, 
was that the reality? What, you know, was it tough? Like, you know, perhaps we didn't have as much social media, media and that sort of stuff then, but I'm sure there's still there are outlets probably for people to, you know, say whether they thought you, you know, you're going well or not. Well, there was um, an amazing woman called Andrea McVeigh who was oh, the yeah. producer at the time. Who, gosh, she's incredible. She actually was producing myself and Ian Jones uh, as hosts in my second year of working there. Uh, she was the person that I would um, rely on to yep. be my backstop. She was straight up. She trained me super hard. She'd have me in there every Monday looking at what I'd done in the weekend and self-evaluating. So um, I credit her for a lot of my development. She was amazing. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't wasn't easy because she was pretty much the only other female aside from Tui McKendrick, who was uh, an executive producer there. Um, I can remember one time after, I think it was maybe at the end of my first year working there, it gotten a bit too much. You know, a lot of the crew, I got on with them well and they'd tell me things. Yep. And sometimes it's better not to know yeah. when people are knifing you in the back and... It was it was actually manifesting in me not being able to sleep. I yeah, I was quite upset, um, and I can remember <laughs> one one moment where Nisbo, who's you know a gentleman and a sweetheart, um, he said, "How are you?" I went, "Not very good, Nisbo." <laughs> I like, started crying. <laughs> it's so hard. They're really mean to me. <laughs> Poor old Nisbo. Nisbo was probably like, "Whoa!" Oh, yeah, and he gave Mel. me a pat on the back. You'll be okay, Melody. Yeah. And I just knew. Um, that he would always be a person that would, um, from that point, be good with me. So, you know, he was. it was nice to be able to yeah. have an outlet like that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't easy, but um, you've got to persevere. Um, and if you're an athlete, some of those t- things that you learnt come to the fray. And, again, I had to be brave because yeah. how else are we going to change things if people don't? kick it off and be the first one and then bring others with them. Totally, Mel. You broke the glass ceiling and, and now you must be very proud of, of all the wahini that you see on the TV um, broadcasting any number of sports. It's, it's mm. pretty cool and great to hear that, you know, one of the Kamatua broadcasting Nisbo was, was a great sounding board and a support um, <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor bugger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not at all. But I, I want to talk a little bit about like that growth we're seeing, we've talked a little bit about like your journey and, and, and into broadcasting as well, but like these days, you know, it's out there. We are having so many young ladies and young girls playing different forms of rugby. Like, how good? I want to ask you a little bit, like, because you're so finger on the pulse with this stuff, is that happening in other countries as well? Like, is that a trend that's happening in um, some of the other developed rugby countries? Yeah, so much money's gone into um, the coaching, um, the competition development um, and a lot of other different programs in developing countries. So yes, it is growing all across the world uh, and World Rugby knows that, you know, if there's one growth area, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they've got plans to um, increase their revenue with World Cups in terms of how they um, do those events moving in the future, but women's rugby is definitely... Uh, something that they're investing in and are leading the way. They've been fantastic in that. And including, of course, that competitions have to be a part of it. And at the moment, the Women's Six Nations means those nations have a huge advantage over others uh, in, in that level of competition as well. And then where you are geographically means that the teams in Europe also have way more competition than Southern Hemisphere, African um, or other countries who are not in that area. So, yeah, no, we the global competition that's going to be started uh, next year will be 
um, another milestone which will be incredible. It's got, I think, three different levels with promotion and relegation between them, which is one wow. of the most important things. And uh, international rugby players, which is the group that I'm associated with, they have a full-time um, women's um, manager in Rachel Burford, who's an ex-World Cup winner herself, uh, and they support her in working with different uh, provincial unions in finding out um, what they need to professionalise their women's game. And World Rugby are also leading that piece of work as well. So there's a lot of different building blocks that have to go into place. They all cost a lot of money. The end game, yep, it might be to commercialise women's rugby, but at the same time, you know, it's making rugby uh, a better product for everybody. Kids, women, um, under 85s, new nations, and of course uh, the elite that get to play in the men's competition uh, at Men's World Cups as well. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Like I said to you before we came in here, like you know, we always hear in the men's game, you know, trying to get a global calendar going or trying to align some of the schedules a little bit more. And what you know often maybe prevents that is the domestic competitions that underpin that international game. They they just at times it may be a little bit difficult to get some flexibility to create that global calendar but here's an opportunity for the women's game to maybe go ahead and pioneer and do that like that would be pretty exciting wouldn't it to in between world cups um, have a global calendar a global competition where whatever the infrastructure and mechanism is um, to make your way up through this part of the world and then go off to play the Six Nations champion or something of that elk is, is pretty exciting. Oh yeah absolutely it's going to be really hard on Black Ferns Wallaroos, Fijiana teams down here because uh, the first one is proposed to be up in Europe and they will have to be away from home, well up I don't know, eight weeks, something ridiculous so it's actually like another World Cup so that is a challenge but the female players are up for it and actually you can split your squad potentially if you've got the funds to do that as well so um, I'm really excited about this competition I think it's going to be great and I guess the key and the secret as to why women's rugby is uh, perhaps able to do this a little bit easier than the men's is there is currently no revenue associated with these competitions whereas with the men's there's a lot of cash and that is where the complication happens but the other comps, us, you know, Six Nations, will still operate. Same with, um, you know, let's say the Laurie O'Reilly Cup down here. They'll still happen, but it's going to be alongside this massive competition, which will um, help some of those developing nations bring themselves up into the level they need to get into World Cups. Mel, what would you like to see for the women's game in five years and ten years? What would be a couple of the key milestones that you'd love to see them hit post the Rugby World Cup they're about to go into in a couple of days? A key milestone will be um, more than four teams competitive to win the World Cup. At the moment, I can say to you from looking at the women's rugby games so far in the last year and a half that it is England, France, New Zealand and and Canada. They are the teams. Um, If we can get at least eight and with more uncertainty around how who's going to win it, that will be one hell of a milestone. And the second one for me is um, commercialisation of the game with global sponsors um, actually saying, do you know what, women's rugby's product we're really interested in for these reasons. We're seeing that with Capgemini, uh, MasterCard at the world rugby level, which is amazing. Still have not seen that uh, at national um, union levels. You know, the Black Ferns don't have their own Yep. sponsor at the moment, which 
to me, I just can't believe it. They're mm. amazing. Why would you not want to sponsor these women? Well, especially with a, a big tournament just around the corner, would that not be? I, I mean, I think I look at some of the other things that are happening in women's sport, you know, you to look at some of the, the soccer, soccer tournaments that have gone on recently with mm. um, some of the crowds that have been there, even uh, the Cricket World Cup 2020, Women's World Cup that was here recently, all sorts of challenges with COVID and different bits and pieces, but all sorts of people that um, I didn't, I wouldn't consider people who like cricket were talking about um, our New Zealand team because it was there on the tally to be seen, you know. So, um, yeah, it would seem a great opportunity this upcoming tournament. I'm sure they'll showcase themselves so well. I want to talk a little bit about the tournament we're going into, the 2021 World Cup in 2022. It's taken a wee while to get here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we're here, um, surely. Look... How do you think we're shaping up? Like, there's there's been some real challenges. You know, we literally our girls didn't play rugby for two years, and and while they weren't playing rugby for two years, some of our northern hemisphere um, competitors were playing 10, 12, 14 games of rugby, and, and really good rugby for that matter. Um, you know, it was a absolute, um, you know, just a the toughest tour ever at the end of at the end of last year. And sometimes a bit of adversity, you know, creates change, and maybe that's a good thing, but. All the stuff you've seen this year, what do you think? Where do you think we're at going into the tournament in a couple of days' time? Well, I think the first thing to touch on is the Black Ferns review and what came out of that, you know, um, a lack of uh, resource when it comes to high performance, um, a lack of resource in the community game, um, the hiring of the coaches, the process was not up to scratch, Um you know, bits and pieces um, around perhaps the financial support for the Black Fern squad, you know, all, all of that stuff. Yep. None of it was a surprise to any of us former Black Ferns because it's yep. been happening for years and it was never fixed and it was just um, probably overshadowed by the fact that Black Ferns keep winning. And then they lose and finally a report is done which has brought it up into the open and that's really, really important. So the reaction from New Zealand Rugby is fantastic for this World Cup. They have poured money into making sure the Black Ferns are robust. That coaching team is unbelievable. That is, hands down, Graham and Henry and Wayne Smith together with, with Cron and, um, you know, it's and Whitney. It's just such a fabulous coaching team. And I know also people like Graham Henry reach out all the time to people like Anna Richards, who has all the IP when it comes yeah. to women's rugby in this country. So what they've done, oh, and they brought Hannah Porter in yes. uh, too from High Performance Sport. So they've they've done a great job to set them up to do the best they possibly can. So it's great. It's next year. What about what about onwards? Yeah, That's yeah. the plan. I'm I'm really keen to hear um, how they're going to put some more money into those key areas that that report. It's great to see the support that has gone in for this tournament. And and um, what do you think of the team? Like, there's there's been a little bit of change. There's some players that we know really, really well. Some of them in 15s, some of them in sevens. Um, you know, people like Porsche are household names. Sarah Hurney's a household name. Um, you know, you've got Stacey Fleuler as well. Um, all players I know from watching the sevens all the time at the Com Games, the Olympic Games. Um, is there anyone in the in the team that you think maybe? We don't know too much about, but they could be that that eighty seven Michael Jones, that ninety five Jonah Lomu. You know, that's someone who, um, by the end of the tournament, um, with the with the coverage, you know, is might be someone that all of a sudden does become a household name and, and might drive a, a sponsor or two to jump on board behind the girls. Yeah, well, there's one that stands out, which is Aisha. Um, what did we say, Leti? Leti. She yeah. is awesome. Is that is that my winger? Is that she's, my little pocket rocket? She's the winger. So she started out on the <coughs> domestic scene here as a young teenager. 
so women's rugby um, lovers have known about her for a heck of a long time and she has been carving up the rugby field for as long as she's been out there since she was 16. So no surprise to us that she's doing it in an international um, scene as well. She is tiny, short, <laughs> probably looks like she should be maybe a halfback or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So she's quite disarming, but she... It rips it on the outside. She's got a step on her. She's very difficult to tackle, and she gets amongst it uh, close to the pack as well. So you see her sometimes coming right. in and do pick and goes or, or hits yeah, off the ruck. Awesome, unbelievable. Her her strike um, percentage is awesome. She reminds me a little bit of Vanessa Coates, who's oh, yes. one of the biggest legends of yeah. our game as well. Scored, oh, she's nine tries against France in 1996 or something along those lines, and. Very similar, um, you know, physique as well to Aisha. So she's the name to watch, absolutely. Because everybody else will be looking at Portia on the other way. Yeah, yeah, totally. forget about her. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and you talked a little bit about it at the start in terms of um, some of the teams that, that we think are going to be up there. Like, why is that? Why are, um, I know England and France are a part of the Six Nations. They're big favourites going into the tournament. England are on a run of, of 25 or 26 games straight without losing. Is it a size thing? Is it um, they've been professional for a long time? They've been together for like what are the factors that that make them so good? Because I'm sure they, I'm sure they're fast and they've got skills as well. You know they're pretty impressive to watch when I um, watched the games at the end of last year. Mm. England are um, incredibly strong because they have got massive uh, women in their front row who know their craft and are agile and are great ball runners. They've got extremely mobile locks uh, and they've got a good balance in the back row. Then they have gone out and headhunted other athletes, so they've got the speed in the backs. They've also got a massive punting um, kick game down the field, which is what they've developed, which no other team really can compete with. It's it's huge. Uh, And then they've got resources. So everything they've done over the last, I'd even say eight years, has brought them to a point with a team that has a um, structure and game plan which perfectly suits their attributes. Yeah, they're amazing. France are fantastic uh, because they've always had um, a domestic competition that has had more players in it than, you know, most, well, any other domestic competition with huge crowds and support. They have had a bit of radu-radu recently. You know, some of the um, teams have pulled out or they haven't had quite as much of a domestic build-up as they would have liked, but that competition sets them apart. And the other thing that I always say about the French girls, if you look at them, they're not huge. They're just athletes. So um, their bodies are just, they all look like, I would say, what what kind of sport, um, maybe basketballers? Okay. Yeah, so that kind of physique um, and a mixture of of different sizes. And they've got real flair. I mean, they really do. It's, um, It's a bit of a cliche to say French flair, but... They certainly play that way. Their halfback, um, Sansu, watch her. She's definitely in contention again for Player of the Year. Um, she causes all kinds of havoc behind uh, breakdowns, which is quite unusual these days because everybody uses their halfback as a conduit to get the ball immediately out to the back, but she's the opposite. So, nine, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. They're amazing, France, and as I mentioned before, Canada. Really, really structured. Um, and if you were to, if I was to pinpoint one other athlete uh, to watch this Women's World Cup, Sophie de Goody, who's the number eight for Canada. She started out as a first five, so she kicks <laughs> She kicks their goals, she can kick for them. 
She takes all of their line-out ball, just about. John Eels. <laughs> yeah, mate. She is unbelievable. She's running the ball. She's now their captain at like, 22 years old. Oh, wow. She played b-ball. She was a um, top um, Canadian basketballer as well. Oh, and she is athlete. the bee's knees. So please watch out for her because you'll be very impressed. So good. Our partners at SAP pride themselves on powering the best-run teams. Mel, I'll ask you a little bit. Like, I want to go back to your amateur days, you know. Is there any success factors that stand out to the teams and environments you're involved in? Because it's a different hat you're wearing back then. These days we so often have people in the studio that are part of a professional environment and, and sometimes it feels like they're all trying to do the same thing a little bit better than everyone else. You know, I know Maybe I'm not being fair in saying that, but back when you were playing, what, what was the glue? What were the success factors um, for your teams in 98 and 2002? Oh, every business in New Zealand um, is always trying to do this stuff, you know, get the values, yeah. um, the objectives or the KPIs sorted to, you know, bring your business the best profit margin, blah, blah. But you just base it on what the Black Ferns did, that's for sure. Um, the purpose of the Black Ferns is um, – bringing through the next generation. And so when you go out on a rugby field, you know, representing your family, but you are there to showcase your sport for young athletes that drives you an extra level. Um, you know, the all overall strategic intent is to win and to get there you have a number of steps that you put in place. Discipline is one. We all know that. Honesty. So um, Kiwis, we're all passive aggressives. Not when you're in the Black Ferns, you get to sit down and really say directly to people what's on your mind. Yep. And it's friggin' hard, but it means in my real life when somebody gives me constructive criticism, I actually can take it, think yep. about it, and change things. And that is all from Black Fern's um, uh, objectives. And then the culture. The culture thing is um, you're all there together doing it, and so there is no personal ambition about one over the other. Um, and I'll give you an example. I was the incumbent uh, for all of my career except for the final year, which was 2002. And that year, Daryl had uh, Cheryl Walker as his preferred number six. Very different athlete to me. And so what he did was he roomed us together. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, far out. I couldn't sleep <laughs> for a while because I was so brassed off that I knew I wouldn't be getting the, the top spot. You just, you know, it, he'd been very honest about that. But she was so lovely and sweet and wonderful, Damn it. yeah, yeah. That I just started falling in love with her, and then I just supported her 100% from, from the bench, and got on in the final, um, which was fabulous, um, so yeah, it, it's it's a culture that always doesn't put other people ahead of, of others for your own personal gain, it's about doing it for each other. And I love it how the Black Ferns call the reserve spark plugs these days. Oh, yeah. I we heard the that the other day. Dirty yeah. duties. Now they're spark plugs. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a way better reference, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mel, thank you so much. I hope over the course of the next six weeks you're able to sit back and take it all in and think, wow, how cool. I've been a part of, of the journey of sort of creating this opportunity for not just for our players, but for the New Zealand public to go along and enjoy um, our Wahine rugby players. I hope. Um, by the time this goes to air, Saturday's been super successful and that you've been able to sit back and watch the triple header. Um, mm. Go the Black Ferns. Yeah, go Black Ferns. They're just absolutely fabulous. The All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black be the best run in sports. Hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street Studio. Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. 
Video editing by Mac Leesberg, graphics by Western Design, content advising from Andy Burt, and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hoth. Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts.